Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Back in the saddle. Back to normal. To remind everyone. It's another Holy Grail watch party. Saturday, 3.30. Get to the Grail. Take on the Bearcats. In the Bearcats as they face Houston. 3.30 ABC. Get yourself some Reuben wontons, some pizza, some wings, cheeseburgers, and uh, obviously some beer. Have yourself uh, a tasty beverage and enjoy the Bearcats, the number six Cincinnati Bearcats, as they take on the Houston Cougars on the big network on ABC at 330. We will, uh, we got a lot to get to today, even though we've had the BBP that was recorded on Sunday. We had John Cunningham, the athletic director for UC, join Justin Williams and I on Monday. And uh, now we're, uh, the, the Bearcat Journal Podcasting Network is humming right now, Dave. It's a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> It is definitely uh, definitely bringing the heat of late. Uh, let's touch back a little bit on UC and Memphis. We don't have to spend too much time on it. Brent and Aaron covered a lot of that stuff Sunday night. But uh, that was an ass-whipping. Yeah, because their defense stinks. And their high-powered offense did not, did not click, did not fire. No. Um, I'm, we talked earlier, we're going to probably get into this a little bit more, just is the defense even better than we thought? And like, I'm kind of to the point now, like I keep adjusting, like, okay, maybe these guys will score a couple touchdowns and kick a field goal or something. I'm almost to the point now where I'm like, can anybody get, Two touchdowns? I mean, other than garbage time against Austin P, no, nobody has yet. No. I mean, I kind of, you know, I was doing, uh, I forget, I think we were driving up to Michigan. And I was wasting some time and just did like a Twitter, you know, kind of like ask me some questions. It was before the season. And I got asked like over under 140 total points. And I was like, which at the time seemed absurd. I said over for sure because, like, I think Georgia last year was the the leader at twelve and a half, and there was only two or three teams under fifteen, and you know, basing it on the offenses that UC plays. I mean, these aren't your ground and pound, eat up the clock type offenses. So I'm like, yeah, it seems impossible that they're. Not, I mean, even if they gave up 16, 17, 18 points a game, that would still be fantastic. Um, but they're on pace to be under that. I mean, granted, this we're playing a few less games, um, but 60 points through five games is that's 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 it. It's, it's pretty, below pace, pretty ridiculous. I, I think what was most impressive to me the last two weeks not only that you know those were high-powered offenses but those were high-powered offenses being led by veteran quarterbacks that have been in college football for like an an eon and both of those guys both Shane Duchelle and Brady White just looked befuddled trying to figure out what to do it was there I mean Brady White there were several times he just threw it into the turf downfield like you know 10 yards 15 yards down the field because he just didn't see anything yeah he definitely seemed like a lot of his throws were low I don't know if he was thrown off his back foot but it just seemed like he was not comfortable at all uh in the pocket outside the pocket really for the game in general. They're definitely, I mean, what Maje is doing right now is. Well, he's not blockable and we'll get to the Houston uh, 
game here in a little bit where he might. I mean, what's the sack record for a player <laughs> player in a game? We might want to look into that. Um, but yeah, like he's he's your dom. He's the guy that we thought he could be. He's your dominant defensive end on pass downs that so far has no one in the league has been able to stop him. I mean, they what they're doing with a three-man front is, you know, we looked at it last year. We looked at that three-man front, and we, we had issues with it. Because the way it is supposed to be designed <laughs> – there are supposed to be inherent weaknesses involved with the three-man front, right? We, we saw maybe the one uh, get exposed a little bit by Memphis in backs uh, sneaking out of the backfield a little bit. But even then, the play design is to keep everything in front. And those wheel routes, like wheel routes go for touchdowns, right? An open wheel route goes for a touchdown. Against this defense, an open wheel route is for 22 yards. Yeah. And you can't run on it. I mean, that's the thing is like, there were even taking the 92 yard touchdown out of the equation where that that was just a bad play. Um, Yeah. I think DeBlanco kind of missed his fit and Forrest kind of missed his fit too. But there were plays that, I mean, Memphis did have a little bit of success. I mean, we kind of laughed. PFF graded their defensive performance as the worst of the season. Yeah, that's the worst Cincinnati's defense played all year. <laughs> Think about there that. Were, there were some plays, like whether it was a running back out of the backfield, a couple throws, that, you know, they weren't, you know, you could tell. I mean, the offense is going to make plays. I mean, Memphis averages 550 yards a game. It's not right. Like it's not going to do you're anything. You're not going to hold them to zero, even though but they want to. But it's like, oh, okay, they made a 25 yard catch. All right, you're done. Like, yeah. you're going to go three and out now. Like, that was your chance. We screwed up. You got good players, too. You made a play. You and now, it's, now you're going th- three downs and you're going to punt to right. us. So it's kind of like the only way anybody's going to score is on a 92-yard touchdown where you kind of mess up. Right. Which it was well blocked. I mean, you know, I heard some it people was. Clamor- clamoring think- for holding there, but I, I didn't really see it. I, I mean, I, I saw more of the kind of the misses on the on, yeah. the on the defenders just getting kind of over-pursuing it. Forrest kind of, I felt like, over-pursued inside, and DeBlanco was a little late, and the guy just made a play. I mean, that's going to happen. Yeah, every once in a while, the other team is going to make a play. Like, that. there's nothing you can do about that. That is football. But the frequency in which it happens against this defense is uh, <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of like, you know, you said that the guys talked about the game. I don't really have anything else to say. I'd rather just get into, like, the defense as a whole. Because I was thinking today, like, you know, we were both very bullish on them going into the season. But I think they've exceeded our expectations. And I've kind of thought of a couple things. Like, what would be your – I don't want to say surprises, but, like, what have you seen through five games that has caught your attention is this is, this is better than I anticipated it being? Well, they, they, they did what they, – they once again did what they did in 2019, which was going into the season last year, how are they going to replace Cortez and Cope? You know, we don't very often at UC's level see – a team just plug and play for two interior linemen that go to the NFL, right? Like right. that we've seen that many times over at Cincinnati where two guys leave or a guy leaves and it takes two years to replace him to, to get those guys trained up and seasoned and ready to go. We're seeing that again with the linebackers. How are they going to replace Perry young and Brian, Wright? Well, uh, uh, Justin Williams had the line of the year so far. I think that that Jarrell White could tackle a tanker truck if he wanted to, <laughs> um, but Jarrell is playing the best football of his life, maybe better than anyone on the. Although I, I'm starting to lean towards Maje, uh, and that's not a shot at Jarrell. It's just that Maje is literally becoming unblockable. I think um, 
I think that's partly because like the consistency of what Jarrell has been and Maje just makes the splash plays. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like if, uh, if Maje has two or three tackles, but he has a pass batted down, a sack, a second and a half, like a couple pressures, you just notice it more yeah. than Jarrell having 11 tackles. Well, he only had five against uh, Memphis, but Memphis didn't run many plays. And uh, I've heard this complaint from multiple people across the back seven. And Luke talked about it as well. Th- those guys were kind of upset because the defensive line didn't allow them to make many plays in that Memphis game. Um, they kind of they kind of stole the spotlight in that one completely. Uh, but and DeBlanco has been fantastic. Uh, DeBlanco has been you know, we, we joked about it that, you know, uh, Marcus plugs him in couple hours before the game with the USB device uh, programs him as in terms of what he wants from his middle linebacker. And then he unplugs him right before the game and DeBlanco goes out and executes <laughs> exactly what has uh, been asked of him. Um, so I think linebacker has to be like what we weren't sure about. I guess where we screwed up there is that's Marcus Freeman's position group. Right, like they they're gonna be ready. Yeah, but that doesn't uh, mean they're gonna. That doesn't mean they're gonna fit, fill in what's been virtually seamlessly and make the same plays that. Maybe it does mean that. I mean, well, maybe it does now, but we didn't know, we didn't that, know. that coming in. Um, but yeah, like I and then no the secondary was gonna have them ready, but you still kind of like the D line last year. You still have to see guys who have are going from 10 to 15 plays a game to 40 to 50 plays a game make that jump and be able to consistently produce week in, week out. Yeah. Uh, the secondary, I think, has been as expected. I mean, you know, I, I we're, we've talked a lot about the over the past two days the what Austin Gale sent me, which is, you know, they have the number one and two edge guys in the conference. They have the number five and six linebackers in the conference in DeBlanco and, and Jarrell. Uh, DeBlanco being rated higher than Jarrell was a little surprising um, by PFF. And then you have the number two, number three, and number five corners and the number three safety. So Arquan is number two in the conference. Uh, or no, Sauce is number two in the conference. Arquan is number three. Kobe is number five. And then Wiggins is number three at safety. Uh, so basically, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You have eight guys playing at a first or second team all-conference level on defense out of 11. Uh, and that's not including – I don't think we give the nose tackles enough credit. That's that's one of my surprises is the interior guys and the pass rush that – um, they've been able to produce. I've been Marcus Brown as a pass rusher has been outstanding, a, a revelation. Like I didn't know that was really part of his game. Um, so, and I and that you know the the interior guys, you know the whole all the line was coming back, but you usually don't. That's not something you really look for from your your interior guys, and if you're going to run a three three five from your nose. But then the other thing, just in general, is, uh, you know, where they've exceeded even our expectations is to me is the run defense as a whole. Like it's yeah. super easy to run the ball in college football. Like Memphis is averaging 200 yards a game. SMU was averaging 170 <laughs> yards a game. Like I bet you the top 20 or 30 rushing teams in the nation all average at least 200 yards a game. And like. It's impossible to run the ball against them. I mean, it took to the last drive of the game when every backup for both teams was in for Memphis to get over positive yards rushing. So, you know, and again, is that is that repeatable all the time? Probably not. But, like, I just you just don't see that against teams that can run the ball, you know. If you're not going to run the ball at all, sure, you can maybe 
have a have a random game where you get down and you're going to throw it all the time and then if you don't automatically run the ball or if you don't run the ball to begin with then sure maybe that happens but like to run the ball as much as they did to run the ball on two consecutive plays on third and one and fourth and one thinking that you're just going to run it right up the middle and uh you know pick that up that right there was like game over no chance um but that's been to, to hold teams to that low of a number these last two weeks against good offenses has been a, you know a big a pretty big surprise to me yeah no question i mean Memphis, the you know, what makes them so difficult is they're actually much more of a running team than a passing team. Well, their uh, coach is an offensive line coach. I mean, he right. he could not have been more mad about how bad they ran the ball Saturday. And the crazy thing is, you know, you add those sack numbers in, and that skews it a little bit. But even if you take the sack numbers out, what did they average, like one yard a carry? Pretty much one yard a carry, 1.1, 1.2, something like that. It was like – I mean. 16 carries for 21 yards, I think, something like that. Yeah. I mean, there was just nothing there. And the reality was you were basically just running into a brick wall over and over and over again if you were going to try to run the ball on this defense. Um, It goes back to if you're an offensive coordinator, what the hell do you – like, what do you game plan? I I was talking to Tony uh, Pike before the game Saturday uh, from six feet apart, obviously. Um, and he asked me, he said, what, what, what do you scheme to beat this defense? And I said, I think the only thing you can do consistently, there's one of two options. You just chuck it deep over and over and over again and hope you get flags. And you know, if they, if they pick it, you hope it just turns into an arm punt or you try to go quick underneath and hope that you can get whatever you can get before they catch you in pursuit. I mean, to me, I, the only option right now is it's the UCF offense, the UCF route tree. Slants, five to ten yard stop routes, or chuck it deep. Yeah, and I don't even know, like, the, the, the slants aren't really even there right now because they're playing so well. Uh, and everybody's playing their assignment at such a high level. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, though, right? Like, whatever Marcus is asking them to do, they're all executing as one. And that's when defense becomes fun to watch, right? Is nobody's trying to do their own, you know, well, nobody's trying to do their own thing. Nobody's freelancing. Uh, and you have a bunch of really talented guys all working as one unit. That's the thing is you, you, you're, you know, from our vantage point, we don't know, but there's breakdown somewhere on every, someone breaks down probably on every play, but it's covered up because maybe it's a pass and the three other guys that are, you know, kind of involved in the play do exactly what they're supposed to do. So the breakdown only results in a seven yard gain instead of a 17 or 27 yard gain. Yeah. So we don't notice it, and then they get a stop, you know, and life goes on, and they force another punt or whatever. Like, just everybody's covering for everybody. So when there is that miss or, you know, maybe a defensive end, you know, comes too far, crashes too far off the edge, but then the linebacker's right there to kind of clean that up. He loses contain, but the linebacker's there. Or, you know, defensive back plays the wrong technique, but the safety's there to knock the ball away or to make the tackle. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing to me, like, we're not – Derek Forrest was the best player on this defense last year. And we're not even talking about him hardly at all. He's not involved. <laughs> like, they're, right. they're not – Nobody – Nobody gets the 15 yards downfield. <laughs> I mean, that's a guy that he was like eight, 10, 12 tackles every game last year. And I don't think, I don't think he registered in the stat sheet against Memphis. He almost got a sack. Brady White, he jumped about 40 yeah. feet there. Brady White threw it over his head. Um, but yeah, it's, 
Like Wiggins is kind of the same deal. I mean, he had the strip fumble, but like before that play, can you recall like one specific play, like pop play, wow play that he's made this year compared to two, like two years ago when he was, when he was all over the place. Yeah. Well, nobody's, intercept, yeah. I mean, nobody's testing the safeties at all. Like nobody has the ability to test. Well, they the don't, I mean, to test the safety, you have to have time to throw the ball down the field. True. And the corners are so good and the linebackers have been so good that when a ball is caught, they're right there to make a play. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you know, you don't have running backs busting through the line of scrimmage and get it. When's the last time you remember a running back getting to the second level? On the a run? one I can remember was, I don't know if it was on a run or a quick pass, but the SMU guy, Arquan kind of bounced off of him. Yeah, I remember and that. And he went up the sideline for a little bit. But I don't think that was the run, though. I think that was a kind of a screen or a, a dump off. I just don't remember the last time there was a handoff. No, where a guy just, got... like, shoots through the middle or off tackle yeah. and the safety has to come flying up to make, like, a 12-yard you know, tackle yeah. where if he doesn't make it, he's either gone or it's another, you know, 15, 20 yards before somebody else pursues and makes a tackle. Austin, today I had him on the radio. Um, filling in for Mo, and we were talking about how fun this this defense is to watch. And he he harkened back to, or it might have been Chris Vanini, I'm not sure. Harkened back to, like watching the '85 Bears, watching <laughs> Marvin Lewis's Ravens, and not to say that, that, but but more in in the sense of what we've been talking about the whole time. Those defensive units played at a level where there was there was no open field there was no space on a football field to make plays on a consistent basis which in today's college football and especially against smu and memphis when that's all they're trying to do is create space and create mismatches have you seen a mismatch well no where where you see was disadvantaged in five games no that's insane that's crazy, Dave. Like, I can't imagine, like, Dana Holgerson watching the last two games and going, okay, my best player's out. What are we, we going to drop for this one? What, what, I mean, what does he draw? What do, uh, what do you I do? Don't, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, because at some point, like, I kind of said after the Memphis game, you know, you have this – high-powered offense, you're scoring almost 40 points a game, you got a veteran quarterback, you think you got good receivers and running backs, you're like, oh, this we can take advantage here, these are where the teams they've played, you know, have messed up, this game plan's great, and then two quarters in, or a little over two quarters in, and you're down 28 to 10, and you're like, shit, guess that game plan didn't work. Right. And let's, I mean, let's expand. We have to give a lot of credit to the offense here as well because the offense is being the factor that breaks teams wills right it's, it's easily i mean i don't want to say easily over exaggerate but in a in an extremely small sample size of two games but back to back i mean this is the best the offense has played in 3 years for sure now neither defense is any good but so playing pretty lousy defenses the last couple of years too. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. I, that's not to take away from them. That's just say, more towards um, will we just, see this just, continue? It just looks. I mean, the aesthetics of it are better. Like, well, the there's pass, the passing there's, game has rhythm, has flow to it. Like the routes make sense for the players. There's actual talent at wide receiver. That helps. Um, but the, it all just kind of complements each other. Like, everything is complementary. And I know that's such an overused football cliche, but, like, the passing game, the run game, the quarterback game, RPO, how you, they integrate the tight ends, the way they use the different receivers, you know, the way they use the different receivers, not all the same, like, and in the right ways – it's just it it has a really good like pace and rhythm to it right now. And I think you have to give Mike Denbrock a lot of credit there. 
Like, I don't think people understand beginning of the year. Like, I know, I get everybody was – the offense was sputtering. We talked about it a ton here. Um, why, what was happening, how to fix it, all of those things. Um, but you were working with a lot of new parts and pieces. Like, the number one option – and the n- number one and number two option in your offense were gone. Mike Warren and Josiah DeGuara. Those were that's that was option one and option two. You had to you had to replace those. Uh, with Alec Pierce out, really the only guy, guy and a half, uh, that you had returning catching passes that had caught any with any consistency prior to that was Jay Sean and Trey Tucker. I mean, I wouldn't I don't even know if I would throw Trey into that into that mix at least he was part of the offense last he was part of the offense but it wasn't like he wasn't a pass catching he wasn't even getting two or three targets a game so right um neither of those tight ends as good as they have been three tight ends even though bruno's out right now but they weren't heavily involved in the passing game last year you know michael young's brand new he's kind of become your your go-to guy um, hopefully Alec can get back soon because I do think having him out the past two games has been a pretty important factor in all this um, and being able to open things up because teams have to respect him outside. So hopefully that we don't see a regression without Alec over the next week or whatever, however long it takes I him to get back into so the fold. I was working at the beginning of the game, so I didn't actually see his touchdown catch. If I'd have seen that live, I probably would have tweeted something along the lines of Des might not throw an incompletion all game. Because I've, <laughs> I've never seen a player in the slot just run totally untouched, unguarded for 45 until he caught the ball 43 yards later. Well, I think I've talked about this with you. My favorite part of that play is Memphis, the, the deep guy from Memphis had a play on the ball. But instead, he had his back turned to Alec with his hands up as if he it was coming to him, like as if he was the intended receiver and he was yeah. catching it for a touchdown. The, sixth, he, the receiver wasn't going to jump to try to you know, catch it or something. Yeah, yeah. I, it was, I, I've got it, you know, in, in, the, in the picture I took from field level. It's phenomenal. He's not even paying attention to Alec at all. We just never see a guy just clean release. They're not. No one was even covering him. No. Like he just ran down the hash marks. <laughs> like. Was, so yeah, they they were not a very good pass defense, and it doesn't get a whole lot harder this week either. No. Uh, we'll get to Houston in a few. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to say about the defense that I I think this is important. That it's another thing that I don't think we touched on. Um. So much of offense today is predicated by motion, right? Motioning backs, motioning receivers. Well, it's, the, um, it's the most surefire way for the quarterback to really understand what defense you're in. Cincinnati doesn't blink when motion happens. Because it doesn't – like it doesn't – It doesn't ma- matter. It doesn't matter. Like so what? You're motioning your receiver to – our weaker corner who's still way better than your receiver. Yeah. Like, or you're overloading a spot. Like it, it doesn't have the same effect because their defense doesn't necessarily have to change a whole lot. I mean, they regardless to, of what you're doing, right. They have to recognize the motion. They have to adjust somewhat. I mean, you're not just going to let a guy go from one side to the other. But like, you're you're not seeing like a whole bunch of guys move into different positions and linebackers calling, changing calls and safeties changing calls. It's you know, and in hey, college, he's moving in college too. I think a lot of it is a lot of it is window dressing. A lot of it is from to to cause confusion. Yeah, but they don't get confused. That's no, my that's, that's kind of my whole point. Yeah, they're not gonna. That's not gonna happen with this group. I mean, it's just fascinating to me, like watching it, watching it play out. 
like you said, you'll normally see like a guy sprinting to the other side of the field to adjust to the motion or, uh, you know, linebacker coming up and readjusting the entire defensive front based on what, what the offense is doing. And you might see a guy move like four yards on this Cincinnati defense, but generally it's like, okay, he moves from this side to that side. One guy points at another guy. The other guy shakes his head to acknowledge that he sees what's happening. And they, they just don't flinch. Like it, there's, and that, if you're an offensive coordinator, that's because that's what works. If you're an offensive coordinator, that's what you're trying to accomplish is to get a defense confused and, and guessing as to what you're doing. Look at at Trey Tucker's touchdown catch. Yeah. It wasn't even motion. They just ran the two outside guys across and he just kind of stood there for a second and looped around and nobody went with him. And this defense just doesn't watching them execute is, is so much fun is so much fun. uh, This is something I don't know if I've asked or how much one-on-one do they do in practice? Like ones versus ones. Uh, very little. Okay, because I was wondering, like, they how much of the defense being the way they are in the twos are good too, but like, how much of the defense being the way they are has helped the offense? Um, you know, kind of get. I mean, once you get into the season, yeah, you're not. It's it's a lot of everything's pretty much scout team, right? Um, you'll maybe see if they do if they do one on one stuff, you'll maybe see like one five minute period. Yeah. Of one-on-one stuff. Um, now they do a ton of that stuff in camp and sure. uh, all the other times, but, but once you get into the season, it is pretty exclusively just, you know, ones versus scout team, mm-hmm. uh, twos versus scout team. And then the same for the other side of the football. So um, not a lot, but I don't know. Freeman's just dialed in right now, man. And how about the fact that I think we talked about this on the BBP a little bit. You've got Marcus Freeman. You've got Brian Mason who have been here since Luke got here. And then you have Greg Scruggs, who I think deserves way more credit than he's getting uh, for doing the job that he is doing on the defensive line. If Perry Eliano, who replaced Mike Mickens, who has fit in about as seamlessly as one could possibly imagine. And then you have Colin Hitchler, who slid in for Tenuta when Tenuta Tenuta moved to a uh, quality control position. So outside of Brian Mason, you're dealing with one veteran coach that is in his first year in the program in Eliano, Someone like Hitchler, who has, has coached before, but this is by far the highest level he is coaching. And then Greg Scruggs in his first ever coaching job in his life. And they are playing at this elite level. Like, that's that's pretty impressive yeah, from a coaching they standpoint. They definitely have it working. <laughs> that's for sure. Everyone is definitely in tune and on the same page. I mean, that's the culture that, that they talk about creating, right? Like, it, it, as long as you have a quality coach, the guys adjust, do what that coach asks. You know, it's not a the, – the inmates aren't running the asylum, so to speak. But that's, that's what they're talking about when – I think people misunderstand what culture means in sports because it's such a cliche term that's used so much, right? Yeah, like I think, you know, sometimes – culture can then turn into like graphics and slogans and right and crap like that when it's really more about the type of people you leadership work with and the type of players you want to have you know fit into not a box but they have to all check off certain things or they're just not going to be the type of whether it's a coach or a player that you you know, think you can be successful with. I did. I love the Dana Holgerson quote. I guess somebody at the press conference asked him uh, why Cincinnati's defense is so good. And he said, well, senior, 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 junior, junior, like 
why do you think they're good? And the reality of that is he's right because most of these guys, this is their second or third year really being a major factor. My J got run as a freshman. This is his third year. Malik got run as a freshman. This is his third year. Um, Forrest and Kobe, third year. Wiggins, second technically because he had to sit out last year, but third year, like all of these guys across the board have just have been here so long, and it's it, they the it's the machine is oiled, if you will. Well, I think that's what makes it fun for um, a coach probably for Marcus is when you have guys that have been around as long as they have, you don't get that a lot. So you're not able to like keep, to keep tinkering, to add, to get creative because you're always like, well, I got, I hope he can play base, right? I got four sophomores and two juniors that have basically never played. So I can't do anything real wild because I just got to make sure that they know how to get from A to B. But now you got guys that have done A to B for two years, and now you can add C and D and see what just see what happens because you know if it doesn't work, all right, we just go back to doing what we do really, really well. And yeah. you know we tried it and it didn't work. But hey, if it does work, then you have a whole nother thing to play with. It's just I'm, I'm hot right now too. By the way, you're hot. Why? Watching this Miami Ohio game. Oh. I've got Ohio U and Central Michigan's on. There's the uh, weird things in the stands. Oh, yeah. Calm down. Calm down, Dave. Um, I don't know. Let's get to Houston, I suppose. Sure. We're, like, we're like 35, 40 minutes into this <laughs> thing. Get to Houston. That was I wanted to talk about that a lot on the like to to expect a defense. To expect a unit to be uh, great and potentially underselling them is is not something we, we get to do often, right? Yeah. We we talked all off season. Can this defense be as good as 08? I don't think 08 wants that smoke where we're at right now. No. No. <laughs> I, I think we're getting to the point we have a definitive answer on that uh and i love that 08 defense i i've i have championed for them for quite a while uh when comparing to this 2022 bunch but through five games we got five to go through five games that 08 defense don't don't want the smoke yeah. as the kids say uh houston how many players are they gonna have when they get here they're not, it's not that bad. Okay. Um, I mean, their best player, Marquis Stevenson, is out. Other than that. they got a running back named Smoke that's not playing. He's he's had like eight yards worth of carries this year. He doesn't play. Okay. He played <laughs> last year a lot, didn't he? I, I don't know. Um, but, like, you know, we've kind of done this to kind of lead off the, the previews. I've kind of compared teams – to each other. SP plus ESPN, UC is up to ninth, 34th offensively, fifth defensively. Houston is 60th, 43rd offensively, and 78th defensively. So when you look at that compared to Memphis and SMU, it is way worse offensively and defensively. Not surprising. They have played a pretty tough schedule. They've played Tulane. BYU of the games they've gotten in Tulane, BYU, Navy, and UCF. So they've played some good teams. Um, the thing that jumps out right away is their defense is hot garbage. They gave up 353 rushing yards to UCF, 9.1 yards a carry. So I'm thinking, okay, well maybe they're yikes. Just, I'm thinking, well maybe they're just really bad on rush defense. No, they're not really bad at rush defense. Because some other games, they did all right. But then you look at BYU. Didn't run the ball that great. Threw for 400 yards. 25 for 35 for four touchdowns. So 
they're not really good at stopping the run or the pass. They are 91st in the country in pass efficiency defense. They have one interception. They have forced two turnovers on the in four games. Uh, they do pressure the quarterback pretty well. Four sacks a game. That's up in the top 10. Peyton Turner has four sacks. Um, but other than that, it's not a great unit. One of their starting linebackers is apparently day-to-day. Are we off? In Dana Holgerson speak, I'm guessing he's not playing. But I don't know that for certain. Um, yeah, their, their offense – has weapons, Clayton Toon, 62% passing, eight touchdowns, four interceptions, has been sacked 11 times. This goes to my MyJ comment from earlier. They're starting left tackle, I believe was injured in the Navy game, did not play against UCF last week, is out for the year. So if your offensive line had already given up, has already given up 11 sacks in four games, and you're now on to your second string left tackle. I think Majay might eat this week. Um, Kyle Porter and Mulba Carr, who's been battling injury, are their two main running backs, both averaging 3.9 yards carry. Porter has 255 for three touchdowns. Again, nothing jumps out. We talked Stevenson, the receiver. He's their big play threat. He's their kick return threat. He's averaging over 17 yards a reception, and no one else is averaging like more than 13 and a half. Um, their next two receivers, from a stat standpoint, neither of them have scored. <laughs> so, I mean, hard, hard believing that's going to change. Stevenson's replacement has five catches for 60 yards this year. Um, Keith Corbin's another receiver. He was one of the guys with Derek King last year that took the the red shirt year. Um, and then Trayvon Bradley and Nathaniel Dell are a couple other receivers. Special teams wise, the kick return defense, 86th. Bearcats are ninth in kick return offense. These numbers are skewed a little bit based on both teams have a kickoff return for a touchdown. <sighs> Uh, Houston is eighth in kickoff return offense. Stevenson returned one for a touchdown in the first game of the year. So that skews because it's by yards per return. So they have a, you have a return for a touchdown. It's skewed, but their defense is 86th. UC's has gotten a little bit better just because of the one pretty big return that USF had. But definitely something there possibly for Trey. For Trey. Um, but yeah, there's not a whole lot that jumps out to me as like, watch, watch for this. This needs to be buttoned up. Um, I mean, UCF almost had 800 yards of offense against them last week. That's not great. No, it's not, that's not great. If you give up 800 yards of offense, UC's takes what four game, three, four games to get there when you see his defense um how important do you think okay so here's the final score BYU 43 Houston 26 how important is it to to beat that score for the Bearcats for perception purposes I don't think it's that important because are you talking about like if both teams keep winning yeah if both teams keep winning then eventually their schedules will go up head head-to-head and they're not even comparable yeah but if you get a common opponent you think you see you think houston's gonna get to 26 no (laughs) no i don't so not without stevenson with stevenson maybe and you think this defense is gonna keep you see the way the offense has been playing from scoring let's conservatively say 35 no no so, I mean, sure, um, for perception, if you're comparing the two, sure, you want to, you know, if we're going to play the style points game, which as a G5, if you're really going you to get to. the conversation of a playoff spot, you have to. But I'm not sure I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm in that seat, I'm necessarily putting up the two games side by side and saying like, oh, well, 
UC beat him by 30 and BYU beat him by like 26, whatever it was. Like, now if it's like 49 to 10, like last week, then when you, when you, you know, inherently do put them up side by side, you're like, whoa, because that, that actually jumps out at you. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, you know, a, a 42 to 17 game doesn't look much different than 43 to 26. No, no, I mean, no, you're not. They, you're not doing the math to go. Oh well, they won by thirty, and these, and they only beat them by twenty-seven, so they're they're better. Like, no, I don't think. But, like, the way the defense is playing, you know, if if they're, they did what they. I mean, this offense is not even comparable to SMU or Memphis. No. In no way, no way, shape, or form, the quarterback isn't better. Uh, Kyle Porter's a pretty good running back. I would say he would be the best of the three, but I mean, you're talking SMU had a freshman and Memphis's main running back this is the first time he's really ever played. Porter's a Texas transfer who's played a lot of football. So, um, but the receiving core is probably not as good as either of them. And that's even considering the injuries the SMU had. The defense is way worse than both of them. Which, I mean, statistically, you know, analytically, I mean, Memphis is the worst defense in college football based on yards. But, I mean, they were like 91st in pass efficiency defense. And, or no, Houston's 91st. Memphis was like, hold on, uh, 86th. They were actually better. Before the and I think, yeah, and I think you know another another thing here is Memphis plays in a lot of track meets. Sure. So you're you know everybody's getting up and down the field. Houston's offense has not been uh, track meet level. What they they did they put forty nine on Tulane, thirty seven on Navy. They're in high scoring tw- games because they can't stop anybody. But twenty one against Houston, twenty six against BYU. Right. Like against this Cincinnati defense. Sure. Uh it is not an offense that that looks all that scary, especially without the one guy that can do damage against Cincinnati's defense. Yeah, I mean he's a guy you throw the ball to. He's a guy like Tyquan Wash or Ty whatever the guy from Memphis was. Like you give him a five yard slant and you miss a tackle, he's gone. Like he has right. game breaking speed. I don't know anything about these other guys. Like they're just dudes. Not a good sign for Dana. No. But when you have Tillman Fertitta behind you, you can kind of do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> How big is it that the game's on ABC now? It's all, I mean, it's huge. It's huge, honestly. Like, because... Well, the only, here's, here's, the only time this would normally happen for the league in a conference game would be like a game day situation at UCF, a holiday situation, like a Black Friday, Saturday type situation where more games are spread out over the weekend. Or if two teams are ranked really high and there's kind of, it's kind of a dead week for other games. Like for UC, to get on ABC against a team that's two and two and just got their doors blown off by UCF, who was also also already had two losses, that is all about UC. Like that would never ever happen before. Now, granted, it took a cancellation, but they were already on ESPN, which <laughs> I'm not sure that would have really ever happened before in the three thirty slot. Yeah, I mean that's everybody looks at prime time. That three thirty slot on a Saturday is the, is the the money that's, spot. That's where outside of Alabama LSU, the year that it's on CBS, that's the money slot. Like that's three thirty CBS. That's the that's the game you want. And then the other big game is usually on three thirty on ABC, leading into the seven thirty ABC primetime game. Yeah, which which I believe. Well, where's the Notre Dame? Clemson game. If it's at Notre Dame, it's on NBC. But I mean, that could be leading into. Uh, I think it's at Notre Dame. 
so it wouldn't be leading into that game, which would be awesome too if it was. That'd be even better because people would, those two fan bases would turn in to see probably at least some of the game. Yeah. Um, I'm looking it up real quick. Yeah, it's at, at Notre Dame. But I think there's a difference oh, this yeah, year because on, they're no, it's on NBC it, still. They it's still on NBC. Keep, okay. They still keep their television contract as far as home games go with NBC, even though they're technically in the ACC this year. Uh, Stanford, Oregon is the ABC seven thirty game. All right. So I think people will want to see Oregon. But I, here's the thing that's that's big. I think you've had two weeks now of everybody talking up Cincinnati. Oh, there's definitely more casual people, whether it's people that are like, this team is damn good, I want to watch them, or people that are like, are they really that good? Because they're killing you know, your stereotypical SEC Big Ten fan. He's like, the guys they're beating up aren't any good. I got to watch this and see how good they really are. What so, do we have? We have Oklahoma State, Kansas at four, Kansas State at four. Eh, that CBS game is going to kill them. So, oh yeah, it's it's the cocktail party. Yeah, it's Florida Georgia, three thirty yeah. CBS. So uh, that's going to get a lot of the the casual fans. But I do think you're going to see. But that is going to be the case. I mean, that's going to be the case. Well, yeah, regardless of what channel they were on. Absolutely. Still, it's it's a big deal to get that spot, three thirty, ABC. Yeah. Uh, national television. Got anything else? Anything else you want to chat about? while we're here um i don't think so talk a little recruiting i guess yeah talk a little bobo little moo moo little bobo business is booming with moo moo and bobo the moo moo and bobo show maybe they somebody special guests on the podcast sometime somebody had (laughs) and i i should have had this done somebody out there can do it uh send it to me on twitter or something we needed a moo moo bobo like 2022 uh election sign <laughs> moo moo bobo 22 like <laughs> the business is booming business is booming uh i think it's going to be another booming business weekend it's, it's um it's the way the wind's been blowing you know I... but yeah Sequai Lawton, Sequi Lawton, whichever. I think it's Sequi, Sequi. I don't know. Uh, announcing Saturday uh, evening, I think, at some point in time. So maybe, maybe if things break the way of the Bearcat, you get a nice nationally televised, convincing victory to to keep your hot streak going, and then you get a high three star defensive end over like Oregon and NC State. I think that would be a successful Saturday if you're the Bearcats. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe we'll help you pass your time Friday at work. Maybe we'll have something for you. Maybe. I don't know. I was thinking, too, of, you know, how we kind of in the beginning preseason, we did – kind of dive into the whole because of the Big Ten and Pac-12 not playing, does that make it more likely that the Bearcats, if they went undefeated and were impressive doing it, could get into the playoff conversation? Eight weeks in, that answer has been determined. It is affirmative that they can get into the conversation. So I'm thinking maybe next week, after we see what plays out this weekend, I'll do like a real dive into like, okay, here's what needs to happen. Here's, here's who we're hate watching the rest right. of the type stuff to actually like say, look assholes, like put us in type stuff. Not just, Hey, we're over here. Like we've been pretty, but you're not really noticing us. Like, nope. Like we're going to shove it right in your face and say, we're one of the four best teams. The interesting thing is I do think they benefited greatly from the delayed decision by the big 10 and the PAC 12. For sure. Because, because it normalized Cincinnati in the top 15, right? Right. Like no one, 
that's the thing is, I I do think whenever it's in a couple of weeks, I heard you talking to, I think it was Vinny today about like when the first playoff poll comes out. I do think, assuming everything stays, you know, on track, I do think they would be behind Texas A and M. And probably whoever, if Georgia loses to Florida, I think they would, even with Georgia having two losses, I still think they would be behind them. I don't think they would be behind a two-loss Georgia. I think they might be behind a one-loss Florida. They would definitely be behind a one-loss Florida because Florida would have beaten Georgia. Right. So, but I think I, I... just because of, I don't trust those people. I mean, we're talking about the same people that have a fourteen playoff with five of their own conferences. So <laughs> you, you can't even do basic math. Um, I would have an argument to say, okay, yeah, they're really good, but they've lost to the two best teams they've played. So how good are they? Um, but even so, just say that that happens, that they're behind them. That means they would be eighth. Uh-huh. Which with, is way better than anybody's oh, ever been. Start with four games to go. Like, yeah. you have to – no one has started from this point. Like, that's the thing. It's no. like it's taken weeks of continual winning plus chaos to even get into, like, top ten range. Like, they're go- regardless of what happens, and as long as they keep winning – it doesn't matter what happens around them. They're going to be in the top 10. Yeah. So to be starting there, and then you just hope that you keep killing people while all these other schools just keep picking each other off. And a lot of that picking off has already happened. Right. Where if UC keeps winning, it's going to be impossible to vote some of these teams ahead of them. No, you're right. You're right. But I think next week, you know, You'll have the next Big week. Ten. I think will be the, the Big it, it Ten happens. will have played three games. The Pac-12 will have started. You'll have, you know, seen some other upsets. I mean, one of Clemson and Notre Dame is going to lose. One of Florida and Georgia is going to lose. Um, we desperately want Clemson to win. Yeah, because we, we you want someone to sweep. The more likely thing happening is Clemson sweeping than Notre Dame sweeping. Mm-hmm. So. You want Clemson to win. I'm not sure it matters who wins in Florida, Georgia, because the winner still would then probably have to play Alabama again in Georgia's case and in Florida's case, and they're going to lose. So they'll have two losses too. Right. So I don't know if it necessarily matters. The, oh, the one I'm worried about is Texas A&M. Their really only hard game left they have is Auburn. And Auburn's not that good. But, I mean, A&M just doesn't play anybody. And they won't go to the conference championship because they lost to Alabama. Yeah. So they can be that one loss non, non – but are you going to put a one loss non – not yeah, even, are you going to put a, an SEC team – Not even conference team. championship loser. Like, you didn't even get to the conference championship. Yeah, are you going to put a, a one-loss SEC team that played ten SEC games in over Cincinnati? The answer is probably yes. Probably, if, but if we're being honest, but I'll I'll have that argument. I will too. And we just we just know how corrupt the system is. Sure, but but at that point, like we'll be mad if that happened. We would be mad. Yeah, but of at the same time, we'd be like, well, we're fifth, and that's never ever happened. No one's ever even come close to being in the conversation for that right. spot. Like, right. The state, you know, the state university of Orlando can talk about their damn national championship all they want. <laughs> they were never, ever, ever seriously considered for the playoff that year. No. Where'd they finish? Eighth, ninth? Like I don't even remember. I, I mean, and I mean, in the regular season, like you know, the the poll after the college right. championship, college, right. the, when they pick the teams, not after right. everyone plays in their bowl games and all that. Right. Uh, I did have one more question for you. I got our guy, our guy Rick Brewering, who uh, is a big gambler. Yeah. Hit me up today and said thirteen and a half sounds off. Like, what am I missing? What this week's game? Yeah. 
Well, let's see. SP Plus has it at 17.9 projected victory. Okay. So 13 and a half sounds off. Yeah, it's way too low. So you're you're pushing hard on the Bearcats if you are the gambling type at 13. Uh, That's like more that's like college fund, kids college fund. (laughs) Yeah, I just it's why why do you think it's 13 and a half? I I don't know. All right. Fair. I mean, fair. I don't know. I mean, I don't know who would bet, who would take the points. Right. That's, that's what's off. Like that's what, because that's what doesn't seem right. It would seem like all the money would be on Cincinnati. You would think. Which that's why you worry because Vegas is, almost always smarter than maybe you. they just think that there has to be a regression to the mean that the offense and defense have played so exceptionally well the last two weeks that there's like we're gonna regress to a somewhere in between Dez's USF game and what he's done the last two weeks and that there's no way that a defense that's not in the power five can continually just shut down relatively good offenses do you believe that no because that's not necessarily (laughs) how but that's not necessarily how the line is made the line is made to get action on both sides right so whether you think like if i see that line i'm either just not playing it because i'm like this doesn't make any sense or i'm you know putting a house payment on uc yeah i mean i why, why hasn't it bet, been bet up to 16 or 17, I guess, is the, the better question, it's right? It's still early for that, I think, a little bit. Okay. I mean, it started at, what, 11, 11 and a half, and it instantly got bet up to 13 and a half, I think. Well, here, let's... Why is that? Hmm. Usually there's a... Oh, here. It's not even on my Yahoo app. It's like there's no line. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yeah. It's, All right. Like I got it at 13 right now. Yeah, it's been around 13 13 and a half. Um I think I saw it when Sunday is it, it, when everything first came out. I think it was 11 and a half and it got bet up pretty quick. That would make but, sense, but I would think it would have gotten bet up even more. Even hotter. Yeah. Like I could see it going a couple more points, 15. At that point, then you're talking like if it goes higher than 15, then you're talking three scores and you get into like the whole you've been dominating for the whole game. You're up 21 easy win and then they score bullshit touchdown at the end and you lose the bet so i can see why people wouldn't wouldn't play you see it something like higher than that um but yeah 13 and a half 13 seems off seems low all right well we don't i don't have to press you for how you think the game's going to turn out i think that pretty much sums it up (laughs) what are we so far we've had jubilation before the smu game we've had satisfaction before the Memphis game. Uh, this week we'll go with affirmation. Affirmation. We'll Daily affirming, affirmation. Affirming to all the haters out there that the cats are legit. Is that because you're good enough? You're smart enough? And doggone it, people like you. I like you. I think so. <laughs> All right, go get a nap. Oh, I got to go in today. I'm ready. I'm going to bed now. This is this is oh. bedtime. All right. I mean, it's basically a nap. I got to get up in five up, a little over five hours. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Go get a nap before yeah. you got to go into work in the middle of the night. Yeah. That ain't sleep. That's a nap. Oh, uh, my! Shout out to my guy Alex at at Amazon. Came up to me my first day and was like, "Love the podcast." So we got we got fans all over the place. <laughs> it's dangerous. It is. 
That's the Dangerous. second time that's happened. I was at a Bengals game a couple years ago in the line to go to the Porta John, and a couple guys were like, We love Dave after dark. <laughs> that was like which, after the UCLA game. Yeah, I was gonna which is crazy because there were at that point there had been one Dave after dark. Yeah, well, I guess it was a hit. <laughs> it was a hit. Uh, I mean, ECU's a what, 7:30 kickoff? Yeah, on a Friday night, and I don't have to work Saturday mornings, so I mean, but you're going to have to wait for me to get home. True. And, Which, I mean, do we really do it? Kind of, we usually save them for, like, a big, big performance. Yeah, it's a big game thing. It's I'm, not, a, it's I'm not, not wasting a Dave after dark on the Pirates. Yeah, that you're going to have to wait an hour and a half Maybe for me to get home. Maybe after UCF, they, you know, that could be, that a, could, yeah. that could be an, a nighter. If if UCF gets pulled off of ESPN Plus duty. Plus, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's they've been a regular there that for a couple weeks. weeks in a row? I don't know if they're there this week. They were there two weeks in a row. I know that that's, for sure. That's, re- that's really got to chap the best you know fan base in the country. I was making fun of one yesterday, and he pointed out that they've played more ABC games than than anybody this year. I was like, well, because you've got two games before anybody else played. Congrats! They had to have inventory. Like, Congratulations. Yeah, and you lo- did you win any of them? <laughs> I called it 13th grade. They got they got to play Georgia Tech on freaking ABC. Like, shut the hell up. Yeah. They really beat the hell out of Georgia Tech. Congratulations. Yeah. The team that go. was running the triple option 18 months ago. Yeah. But, all right, man. Well, get your nap in. Tell the kitty back there I said hello. Yeah. We're getting a, a, kitty, sh- a kitty bath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the uh, on the on the feed, can't put that out there. Don't want the people to no. be offended. But all right, man. Well, that wraps it up. Bearcats in Houston, three thirty, Saturday. ABC watch party, Holy Grail Banks. Get there early, get your spot, and watch the Bearcats keep rolling as the number six team in the country. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. This is the BCJ podcast. Brought to you by the Holy Grail Banks right here on BearcatJournal.com.